You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we check back in with the San Francisco Mime Troupe, who have finished the first season of their radio play, Tales of the Resistance, which has temporarily replaced their political theater in the park. You're used to telling a joke and getting a laugh, singing a song and getting applause, having people come up to, uh, up to you after us. The Mime Troupe, since we do free shows in the park, when we walk out afterwards and we're passing the hat, we're hearing from the audience immediately. Oh, I love this. This meant so much to me. Mainly now, like I get a little comments on Facebook where people will say how much they like the show and how much they're looking forward to the next uh, next episode or what how it's speaking to them and what's going on with the pandemic or politically. But generally, it's like it's not quite like we're in a void, but there are very few voices that are making it all the way to us. I'm Mel Baker. This is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. The San Francisco Mime Troupe has been performing socially conscious and often very funny productions in Bay Area parks since 1959 and was preparing for its summer series of shows when the COVID-19 pandemic made that impossible. Like many live production groups, they were left with a choice, shut down for the year or come up with another way to perform and reach their audiences. Some organizations put on Zoom events, but the Mime Troupe decided to turn their planned series of plays in the park into good old-fashioned radio plays, one of my favorites. Civic's home station KSFP offered the Mime Troop a platform for our station as one of their outlets for the operation of the show. And of course, you can hear it as a podcast on the SF Mime Troop uh, platform. Tales of the Resistance has now completed its 10-part series of shows. The San Francisco Mime Troop presents Tales of the Resistance, four series of original political comedy audio plays presented as podcasts and audio shows on stations across the country by the never-ever-silent, always-radical, and confusingly named San Francisco Mime Troop. We interviewed the creators of the radio plays about the production at the beginning of the series, but now that the first series has been completed, I want to know how the production and the pandemic-driven experiment has been working out. On today's show is Michael Sullivan, the playwright and an actor in the show, and Belina Brown. She's a director and also a participant in the show. So let's retrace some steps and explain how Tales of the Resistance uh, went from a planned theater in the park production to a radio play. When did you realize things would have to change this year? Right well, in the th- middle of March. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that we, we of course, when it was when it was still March... I think we were hoping that we would be able to still do the, the park show. But then I think when, once we got to, I guess, April and it was still going, uh, then, then we were looking at, well, what if we don't open July 4th, which is our normal time to open in, in Dolores park. What if we push it back a month and open in August and so we kind of were looking at, well, what would that mean? And trying to find out what the parks and recs, like, you know, how they were handling it. Cause I mean, it's not just up to us. It's also, you know, what the, what the different parks and recs in the different cities um, are doing in response. And then, and it sort of like got pushed back and until finally it was like, this isn't, 
letting up anytime soon. What can we do instead? Yeah, it was it was quite a chase there for a little while because we knew we had to do something different. But at the same time, trying to figure out, it's like, okay, are we going to do... We, at first, we thought, well, maybe we can do, uh, like Felina was saying, a shorter season. Maybe we could do stuff just at the Mime Troop and video it. Uh, and we could do live uh, live radio things together. And then that wasn't possible because people couldn't leave their homes and we had to start. And so as we were getting closer and closer, and finally we are like, okay, we'll do a radio show and everybody will record by themselves at home. And then we will we'll rehearse together We'll kind of record together on a public platform and then have to edit everything together. And that's been a big part of it that I think we didn't anticipate how hard that part was going to be. That's been Valina and Taylor Gonzalez and Daniel Savio, the composer, uh, lyricist and musical director, staying up all night every once a week, pretty much having to just hour after hour after hour of piecing together stuff where some one actor is in, you know, uh, Southern California and another actor is in Berkeley and another actor is back east, just people all over the place and trying to make it sound the same and sound like we're all in the same play in the same room. Felina, that must have been a nightmare to direct. What? To, so compare that to like last year's directing a live production in the park to to doing that this year what was that like well you know the directing part uh wasn't i i didn't experience it as as a nightmare the the you know when we're rehearsing we rehearsed uh and recorded uh communicating through discord and that was that was fine it the editing part once everything's been recorded that was the the place where it took a lot of time to choose the the takes and put them together and and that sort of thing i can't really compare it to directing other mime troupe shows because uh, you know ironically this was my first time directing a mime troupe show i've directed other shows but Mm -hmm. i had this was my first time directing a mime troupe show and it turns out to be a completely different you know situation than we've ever done before so that was interesting and steep learning curve, you know, because I hadn't, you know, none of us, I think that's true. None of us had done anything quite like this before. So I was going to say like one of the things when you're directing a regular play there, it's much in some ways, it's more of a collaboration because you ask the actor to do a line a certain way and they do it and it's close and it's good and the audience likes it, but the director might always go, ooh, I wish it was that way. And ooh, I wish it was this way. Whereas when you're doing a recorded radio play, you can ask the actor to do a bunch of different takes of the same line or the same speech. And then when you're editing, you could take the one you like the most to tell the story a certain way. It's kind of like what they say with filmmaking, that the real filmmaking is in the editing. That's where you make the film. And to a large extent, with a ra- recorded radio play, the the you know we might hear it and go oh i didn't do those two lines in the same take but the director pulled a line from one take and a line from a different take and stuck them together yeah it sounds a little bit more like what we when we watch uh, like a pixar film or something where somebody's doing the character voices those are often done individually in separate studios and yeah. it's all put together with multiple takes and even even a production like this so there's three of us interviewing and I'll have three different audio tracks that I have to edit together and make sure they're timed up properly and that they line up so that my voice doesn't talk over you at the wrong time. And that's a minor example 
of how complicated it can get. And when you've got multiple characters and multiple sound layers, you've got multiple files open, it can be quite a, uh, a puzzle piece to put together. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, myself and Taylor Gonzalez, our, our uh, sound engineer and Daniel, like we were, the three of us were the ones who were, you know, working together um, sometimes pretty late at night um, or early morning. And, you know, we, we were just quite this little, little team talking to each other while through exhaustion and um, but it was fun, you know, to to be able to um, put together and re- like realize your your um, your vision uh, using a, that's funny using a, your what the yeah, sound radio. that you had yeah the sound that you had in your head um, um, making it come together. But a key thing though too is like when you're recording you need to have a lot of, you need to have a lot of ideas that you can ask for because if you don't ask them for it, then you don't have it when it's time to put the pieces together. I mean, sometimes we would ask someone, you go, oh, we really need this, you know, and ask them to make that recording of, of a line a certain way or, or just sounds like, you know, okay, so you're running here and we need you to sound out of breath more than more so than how it ended up. So every now and then we'd ask someone to re-record, but mostly it was just about w- making sure that you ask for what you need or the, or the different options and possibilities so that when you're putting to it together, you have those, the pieces. Otherwise it's like, Oh no, we don't, we didn't get that. You know, how are fans responding that your fan base that is used to seeing you in the park? Are they, are they embracing the idea of, of listening to it as a radio play? Well, it, you know, one of the things when you're doing a, a show, whether it's indoors or outdoors, you get an immediate response from the audience. So yay, or give up the business. One of the two. <laughs> and, and doing this, we don't hear as much from the audience. I mean, we've got people now around the country listening to it because of radio stations and being able to listen to it on uh, on our website, but we don't get as much feedback, which is, which is kind of tough. You know, we're used to having something you're used to telling a joke and getting a laugh, singing a song and getting applause, having people come up to, uh, up to you after the mime troupe. Since we do free shows in the park, when we walk out afterwards and we're passing the hat, we are hearing from the audience immediately. Oh my God, I love this. This meant so much to me. Thank you so much for your work. Mainly now, like I get a little comments on Facebook where people will say how much they like the show and how much they're looking forward to the next uh, uh, next episode or what how it's speaking to them and what's going on with the pandemic or politically. But generally, it's like it's not quite like we're in a void, but there are all, very few voices that are making it all the way to us, or at least to me. Are you have you spoken with other groups that are doing similar things that are, you know, have uh, been live performance organizations? One other one that we've worked a little bit with and helped out with Z Spaces, uh, Word for Word, Cat Word, and they created a, a uh, audio version of their show as well. Have you talked to other groups and things to kind of figure out how to do this or did you already pretty much have it figured out? At, well, get- we didn't have it already figured out per se, but um I think Mina Marina had done something online that she was like one of the first people to do, but I think it was a zoom thing. I can't remember what it was, now, yeah. but, I rem- but I remember 
saying, Nina, I might need to, to call you and, and pick your brain. And she was like, oh, sure, anytime. And then we also talked to some sound uh, people, like, didn't uh, we like had you. some friends? <laughs> yes. And, um, and like our friend Adam, you know, we have a friend, Adam Chin, who, who has worked with um, like Pixar and DreamWorks. Dr- DreamWorks and stuff like that. And he's given us feedback. Um, you know, so, so yeah, talking to people who work more in this area and, and getting advice has been really helpful. But when it came to just radio plays, it was like, you know, speaking with you and speaking with other people who had that experience, which is unfortunately rare. Uh, there's a theater company in Los Angeles that does radio plays. And I tried to contact them to get to ask them, you know, about sound and how they're doing it. But they were way too busy. Uh, Actors Gang is doing a radio series, but they started after us. So we kind of were like at the forefront. Most theater companies don't have like resident playwrights and resident actors to work on stuff. Most theaters like word for word has a resident company, which is great. Yeah. But a lot of companies don't. And so they couldn't make that pivot in the same way that we were actually as strange as it is to have a company that has mime right in the title um, <laughs> and that is known for doing physical comedy. To We were very well positioned to do this shift to radio because we have a resident acting company. We have a resident playwright who just so happens I listen to a lot of radio plays like every day for years I've done that. So uh, we were just well positioned to do it. And and then afterwards, after we started, I contacted the NEA, the head of the NEA. So it so happens. I know these people um, and said, you know, if there are any other companies that want advice on how to do this, they can contact us since we're already doing it and to listen to our shows and to figure out how we're solving problems. I find that what's really exciting to me is the quality of SF Mime Troop production and some of the other productions I've heard. I was kind of expect, honestly, I was kind of expecting, okay, it'll be okay. It'll be good. And I'm like, holy crap, you know, blew my mind with just the quality of the production and the use of sound effects and just everything was just wonderful. And it, as an old radio play fan myself, who when I got starting in the early eighties in radio, it was, that was dead even then, but there was no platform for radio plays. And it was really sad. One of my classes in school was radio play class. And I went, wow, this is so cool. I wish people were still doing this. And now with it, we've moved to this new medium with podcasting and things. This may be a, a thing that COVID actually spurs a growth in. Yeah, that would be nice to see a resurgence. Thank you very much for for saying that. That means so much (laughs) to me, you know, just thinking about um, how, you know, working on and going, all right, we haven't done this before. And so someone who has experience saying that you really appreciate the quality means a lot. Thank you. Well, having a Pixar engineer on your staff, (laughs) I mean, your side (laughs) clearly showed, you know, I mean, just somebody that really knew how to do this. So, but let's, let me kind of get back to the, how the fans are responding. So, the immediate effect of are they responding in a way that you can measure and get feedback on, but how is this, you know, it's a financially, it's a, it's a challenging thing to do. You had to buy some new equipment. You had to put in the staff hours and things. Is this, how does this compare? How's this year looking financially for you? Is this, does this, did this take more energy and resources than it's returned or how does that working out for you? 
Well, it's been interesting because on the one hand, it has taken uh, uh, just, like, just like, like for Valina, the director is normally done when the show opens. And instead, she's been on salary and on time for the whole summer. She's still working. Um, she never so so. There's a certain amount of emotional and physical drain when the show never is done. Uh, but at the same time, uh, oh, and yeah, not knowing like we get donations, we we cannot ask for donations directly uh, uh, in the radio shows. Where there's certain things we can't do, we can't say send your money to us like we do after a park show. This is, it- this is a, and let me, let me describe what that is. So in public broadcasting, which is where you're getting cleared, we're not allowed to do what are called call to actions. So you're not allowed to do what is a traditional commercial, send money to, or do this, do. You can say, don't, you can have donations possible at, or you, that's why you hear on public broadcasting, these really flat sounding underwriting announcements. So this is very tricky language about how you can uh, ask for donations and, and such. You can't do this direct thing like you would on a commercial radio station. Right. And yeah. so if and anybody like, who's seen a Mime Troop show, you know the pitch is a big thing at the end of the show. The show finishes, the band, we're done. And then somebody, frequently me, comes out and does a big pitch to the audience. And we couldn't do that. And so that made it very awkward and difficult for us to see how well we were doing financially uh, in terms of income for this specific show. But fortunately, we got some other unexpected donations specifically because we were doing a radio play. There were other organizations that are like, you're doing radio. Thank you. We've wanted Mime Troop shows on the radio for a, and on the internet for a long time. Here's a lot of money. So... It won't take us through next year, and those organizations aren't going to give us any money next year, so we will be relying even more on the audience. But we actually, it worked out for us to do this. We didn't have to, you know, go deep in a hole or anything. Yeah, so, I mean, so we didn't receive um, donations where we usually do, but we did still receive uh, donations that, ultimately ended up matching what we would have gotten in the park, but just, you know, in a different way. Once Tales is over, uh, and, you know, stations are going to continue to run it for a little while, but then we've got our adaptation of A Christmas Carol coming up, A Red Carol, and we are going to do fundraising around that. So maybe we'll take some time and really watch fund drive breaks uh, on television and on the radio and use some of that language to be more aggressive. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's been it's been it's been weird i was telling valina last night we're married by the way um that uh that this is the longest period of a mime troop show i've done since like the early 90s because there, there was a point where i think my son pointed out to me or somebody's like you've been doing this for six months when you first from the first time wow. we thought about it and it's like it's a long stretch but it also feels very short now that it's coming to an end. Well, one of the things that's been um, cool about it is that we, you know, we try, there've been, there are lots of things that have been really cool about it. Um, and one of them is that because we're, 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 you know, building the plane as we fly that um, it's, it's made it so we could be even more kind of in tune with what's happening in the world as, as we go forward, because we're continually, we were continually write, writing and creating um, throughout that time. Michael just could have his 
um, you know, ear to the ground about what's going on and put it into the shows, you know, on an ongoing basis. Whereas when we're creating a show that's going to be that's the show that we'll tour around all summer, we just have to depend on Michael's really good at sort of being able to see which way the wind is blowing and write something that in May or June may seem like, hmm, you know, but then throughout the summer, it starts happening. Like a lot of the things that he's talking about starts to unfold. And then people will go, wait, you rewrote this. And it's like, no, it's just that you didn't hear it the first time. Cause sometimes yeah. people do come back and see it again. It's like, you didn't hear it the first time because you didn't have, have the news stories that are, that are coming up now to make it stick in your mind. But we could just continuously be reacting and responding to what's happening. So that was, I think that was an advantage in terms of our general mission. We like to be able to be up to the minute, but this was even more so. Uh, Valina, could you just uh, tell me about your favorite part of this series? Wow. Well, initially, definitely my favorite part of the series was Fear of the Dark. And that was the, the series where Brian Rivera was the lead as Primo, this ex-cop, and who always thought of himself as, as a good cop. And then he realizes maybe not so much uh, as, as some information comes to him about what his involvement or lack of involvement actually meant in people's lives. And so... Um, like I really, I really appreciated the way that that helped show that person, the perspective of a retired cop. I'm sorry. Got something in your eyes? <laughs> Tear gas. What happened? Uh, the police. The police? Were you breaking the law? Of course not. Why would they do that? I don't know. Didn't they recognize you? Didn't they know you were a good cop what how did you officer officer please i need help i'm i'm not a cop anymore but i need help what's wrong some guys they beat me up beat you up i don't know why was it a gang yes can you describe them they're all dressed in blue blue with badges and they beat you they beat me to death to three of them there was another one there, but he just turned his back. It was right when um, we were still very much reeling from watching George George Floyd murdered right in front of us, you know. Um, so that, I think that was um, a, a favorite one for me. And then, but then also I'm really enjoying the, the, um, it came from R&D uh, about this person who wants to be like, um, you know, Zuckerberg. He wants to be the next Zuckerberg and create something that is going to be that kind of pervasive in people's lives and his journey, too. So I, I don't have just one. So, Michael, rather than having you choose one of your children and say this one was better than the other, what was your favorite commercial segment 
Ah, now I didn't write the commercials. So that's why that's why I'm having you that's do why that you asked. <laughs> yeah, I think Marie Cartier just Yeah, she brilliant. wrote a wonderful job on those. I think that uh, of all the commercials, I think the one that I thought was the well, they were all funny. Uh, the hug me one uh, was so timely and 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 spot on. This idea that we're all separated and divided and socially distanced, and so that people are feeling separated and alone, and that they could buy this little robot that would hug them. Uh, but then, as it turns out, it can also control them. You know, it can hold them and not let them do things, not let them out of the house. And the corporations that controls the hug me has this extra power. One of the things that Marie did in the commercials was by linking all of these different commercials to kind of uh, overarching corporations and how each one of these things that seem by itself seems innocent enough. Actually, you're giving all of your life over to this one corporation. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. We're looking into 2021. Let's say we get lucky and the pandemic is controlled or contained uh, and you're able to return to live performances. Do you think you'll continue to do radio plays and live performances? What, what do you think it'll look like next year and, and the year after? My hope is that we will continue. I think that's what the company is planning on, is perhaps bringing out the next set of Tales of the Resistance um, actually in the spring and then and then going on to do then if we go ahead and do the the summer show we'll have finished it if we don't do the summer show then we'll just continue it um so that's the plan because we've been trying to figure out some way to get into other media for decades the mind troop has talked about it trying to figure out how to do radio how to do uh, uh internet how to do short films or anything like that and this has been this really, unfortunately, this great opportunity for us. It forced us to make a decision. It forced us to make a change in, our, in what was possible. And now everybody in the company, and like I said, those audience members I've heard from really like it. So we're going to just continue to do it as a parallel thing. One thing that's exciting about audio that people don't realize is that we have more ear time than eye time. We have mm -hmm. the capacity to listen to more stuff than we do to look at, read stuff, or watch stuff. And you can do so much in the audio realm fairly easily, fairly inexpensively, that you cannot do in video, uh, where it just requires this quantum leap in, in the amount of uh, order of magnitude amount of effort it does to produce a video production that's, that's something that people will watch nowadays. So mm -hmm. it is this medium that's really untapped. Belina, yeah, what, well, that's our hope. Valina, what's your what are your hopes uh, for the next couple of years? Well, yeah, I hope that we can continue to um, explore, um, you know, the audio realm, and uh, but at the same time, you know, it'd be great, of course, to get back to meeting up with our audience in person and having that kind of connection. Um, because we do miss that. Uh, I definitely miss being able to talk to our audience right after the show and, and enjoy their react, their gas, their booze, their, you know, booing the villain and cheering the hero and stuff like that. It's just really fun to experience going on the ride together with our audience. I don't think that we, we would say, well, that's it. We, now that we're doing radio, we're kind of done with the live thing. 
Um, but, you know, but we definitely want to continue the, because the upside of putting things out in, in this audio way is that we're able to go places that we, that we can't physically go, you know, like we do hear from, we have heard from people like from Germany who've, who've heard the series or, you know what I mean? Like we can reach people around the world this way. And yeah, there's uh, so many times where the mind trip used to tour, you know, around the country until we went into our undeclared depression uh, in the uh, after uh, after 2000. Uh, and a lot of schools and organizations and political groups could no longer afford to bring the mime troupe out to Ohio and Florida and Wisconsin or wherever we used to play. But this is a way for us to reach that audience again and let them know we're still here and we know you're still there and we appreciate you. And this is something we can share with you. Well, Michael and Valina, thanks so much for joining us on Civic. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Great talking to you. I've been speaking with Michael Sullivan. He's the playwright and an actor in Tales of the Resistance. And Valina Brown, she's the director of the series and also an actor in it. I'm Mel Baker. You've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.